Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We are beginning a new series this morning, the same title as our capital campaign, Growing Deeper. This morning we're going to begin by looking at growing deeper in our unity in Christ. Next week, Pastor Corey is going to lead us in talking about growing deeper in our faith. On October 1st, we're going to talk about growing deeper in our love for the Lord. On the 8th, growing deeper in prayer. On the 15th, growing deeper in our walk with God. On the 29th, growing deeper in our giving. That's just prior to the event on November 1st where we will make our commitments. Then on November 5, we're going to share how it all belongs to God. November 12, growing deeper in God's Word. And then finally, the Sunday just before Advent begins, November 26, growing deeper in gratitude. So that's the series that we are headed into. This morning, Ephesians 4, Paul encouraging the Christians in Ephesus to grow deeper in their understanding of their unity in Christ. So let's follow as I read the first six verses. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The Word of the Lord. Maybe you've noticed, but since 2020, it seems like our culture has grown increasingly polarized. Beginning with the COVID-19 pandemic and then the, the race protests and riots that followed, those who refused to acknowledge that systemic racism is the most serious issue facing our country and refusing to maybe put BLM signs in our yards, well, we were considered racists by some. At a major NASCAR event, the crowd began chanting vulgar slogans about our president. It sounded a little bit like, let's go, Brandon. People who refuse to celebrate being gay and transgender are considered hate mongers. You either affirm and celebrate or you must be a hater is the way it goes, I guess. Entire churches and denominations are being split by their stand on gay marriage, whether you affirm it or whether you believe the Bible says that homosexual behavior is a sin. The Reformed Church in America, the United Methodist Church, many others, and now our Christian Reformed Church is dealing with the same issue. Different mask policies in the pandemic polarized people. If you were one who insisted on wearing a mask and that everyone should wear a mask, some thought that you were ignorant and anti-science. And if you were one who said, I'm never going to wear a mask, people thought you were ignorant and dangerous. Crazy accusations back and forth. And our politics are increasingly divided. Vigorous debate used to be the way democracies functioned. 
You have differences of opinion, so you talk about it, you discuss, you debate vigorously those differences, and maybe you come to some agreement, maybe you don't, but you respect the people who disagree with you. Now, evidently, that doesn't happen anymore. Now, if you have the wrong view, you're just canceled. You are a threat to democracy, evidently. I mean, this is craziness. I've never seen anything like this. Maybe you haven't either. So where did all of this division, this polarization come from? Lots of places, lots of factors, but from where I sit in the profession that I have, it sure seems to me like the devil is in this because the devil loves to divide. He loves to divide. The devil divides people. It's his specialty. He takes people who have a lot in common and he makes them focus on these tiny, minute differences and he gets them to hate each other and view each other like they're the enemy. It's crazy. This happened in the early church in Corinth. So Paul writes this to the people there. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. And then Paul argues the following. Let's read this together. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Now, the only way to discern what to believe about things is to talk about it, to discuss it, and, of course, especially to say, what does the Bible say about this? This is what Christians have done for centuries. We're not the first generation to find differences of opinion about things. This has happened all throughout the church history. But then what we do is we send our best and brightest leaders and church leaders to gather together to pray, to open Scripture and figure out from each other what does the Bible truly say about these things. Is God one or is He three? Is the Trinity a real thing or not? That was nailed down in the 4th century already, but that was a very contentious issue. What about the Lord's Supper? The Middle Ages were filled with vigorous debates and discussions about the nature of the Lord's Supper. So you come together with councils of the church. You pray, you respect, and you figure out what is the orthodox view that the Bible teaches us. It was never unanimous. There were always people who afterwards were deemed heretics because they didn't believe in what the councils decided. And the church continued to march forward in the truth. Jesus said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. So in the light of all of these divisions in culture and even in the church, Paul, in this passage, calls the Ephesian Christians to recognize their unity. God has united us in Christ, he says. It's not, unity isn't something we build. Unity is something we recognize that God has given. God has united us into his family. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, God chose each of us. He predestined us to be a part of his family. 
In Ephesians 2, he says, God has made us alive in Christ. He seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And then he argues that God brings Gentiles into the church. That was a huge controversial thing back in the day. But they had to adjust to that reality of people from different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds even, coming to faith in Jesus and becoming a part of one body of Christ. God is the one behind doing that. Our job is to recognize that and not bring unnecessary divisions into the body of Christ. Our job is to celebrate that God has brought us from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And then Paul goes on to point out all that we have in common. That's most of this text. In verse 4, he argues there is one Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one at work behind the scenes. We don't see Him, but He's the one who convicts you of sin. When you begin to stray, it's the Holy Spirit who's the one whispering in your ear, uh-oh, uh-oh, don't go that way. And then when you fall into sin, He's the one who makes you feel badly about it. It's a gift from God that you feel convicted for sin because He doesn't want you to keep walking in that way further and further away from God. He wants you to come back and to receive God's forgiveness for sin. That's the Christian life. There's one Spirit. That one Spirit leads us to repentance and faith. That one Spirit teaches us what is true and what is not. That one Spirit helps lead and guide our lives to walk in God's ways. Paul goes on to say we have one hope. Now, if Paul is referring to our hope about the future, Christians are all over the map with what we think is going to happen. What's our hope for the future? Our eschatology these days in the Christian church is very much divided. There are some who say we're going to have a seven years of terrible tribulation. And some say we're going to have a thousand year reign of Christ where it's going to be near perfection right here on earth. And others say, no, there's going to be a rapture where all of God's people are going to suddenly be raptured out of the world, leaving all the unbelievers behind. And then others argue about the Antichrist and who that's going to be and what that's going to be like and what the battle of Armageddon is and where it's going to take place and when exactly the world's going to end. Books have been written on all of this, taking various positions as Christians vigorously debate these things. Debate is good, but we certainly don't all agree. But that's okay. Our hope isn't in all of these differences. Our hope is that Jesus Christ will come again. Amen? He will come again. Those who are dead will rise to new life. There will be a final judgment. We will all live with God as God's people in a new heaven and a new earth. Those are the things that the Bible teaches us that forms our future hope. And it was all by grace. It's all given to us by grace. Thirdly, Paul says in verse 5, we have one Lord. Back in the days when train travel was the easiest way to cross the country, a pastor by the name of Harry Ironside boarded the train in Minneapolis, not feeling that well, traveling to Sacramento, California over several days. In the morning, as was his habit, he got out his Bible and had his 
daily quiet time. And as he was reading his Bible in the berth of that train car, a stout German woman passed him and said, Is that a Bible? And he said, Yes, it is. And she said, May I join you? And so she went and got her Bible. And they together began to read Scripture together. Then a tall Norwegian man walked by and he wanted to join them. So he got his Bible and then it was the three of them. And the group continued to grow over the course of that train ride. Over several days, every morning, the group got bigger until there were 28 people across that whole train who every morning were gathered together to read Scripture together and sort of share a daily quiet time. They got to the end of the trip The train was at Sacramento. Everyone was getting off. And the German woman looked at Harry Ironside and said, What denomination are you from? And he said, I'm from the denomination of King David. Well, she was a little perplexed by that. I didn't know King David had a denomination. And Harry Ironside said this, David wrote, He was a companion to all who fear God and keep His commandments. And the woman agreed that would be a good denomination to belong to. One Lord, one faith, Paul affirms in verse 5. Lots of different opinions, of course, about various minor doctrines of the faith. But we all believe in the certain truths that are stated in our creeds, in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. Those were the documents worked out at some of these major councils of the faith that state this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what we all subscribe to even though we work out some differences on the side. It's one faith. Even though some of us baptize babies while others insist only those who are believers should be baptized, we all say there is one baptism. One baptism. In our tradition, we sprinkle a little bit of water on the head of a a child or a baby in many cases. In other traditions, they immerse someone fully under the water in a lake or a tub in their church. But we all say there's one baptism. Baptism is that sacrament of the church that is the sign and seal that we belong to God's family. If you're a believer in Jesus, you should be baptized. And we believe your children should be too, because we believe in covenant theology. But it's interesting the order Paul mentions some of this in. He says there's one Spirit, there's one Lord, and then in verse 6 he says there's one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. So he kind of gets the Trinity backwards. He talks about the Spirit and then about Jesus and then about God. But through it, he talks about the fact that we believe in one God, but three persons. That mysterious doctrine of the Trinity that none of us can fully understand or explain, but clearly is taught in Scripture. God is the one with the plan of salvation. Jesus is the one who implements that plan by giving Himself dying and rising from the grave, and the Spirit is the one who helps us believe to make it effective in our lives. There's a Heavenly Father over all. Whether we worship in African huts or in European cathedrals or in Chinese house churches, we are all members of one family together. One family, one Savior, one God. 
So God has established all of this. He's chosen us. He's included us in his family. People from all wide variety of, of traditions and tribes and languages and cultures. And then Paul says, our job is to keep the unity of the faith. Keep the unity we have in Christ. Because in that early church in Ephesus, there were lots of different people. There were Jewish backgrounded people who believed in Jesus and there were Gentiles who believed in Jesus. There were slaves and there were free people. There were wealthy people and there were poor people. Lots of differences among the people in that church, too. And yet Paul said, focus on what you have in common, not on those little things that are different. And we have to do the same. So when we drive past a church of a different denomination, I hope you pray for that church and I hope you pray God blesses that church because we're all on the same team. Even if it's different denominations, we are all on the same team. We're all about the same business. We're all of the same body. So we should talk respectfully about people who go to those different churches. They're not our enemies. We're not in competition with them. We're on the same team hoping to win our whole community to faith in Jesus. And whether they go to their church or ours, praise God. These people have come to faith and are in church. Our focus should be on our unity in Christ. So Paul gives us some tips for how to do that. The first thing he says is in verse 2. Let's read it together. Be completely humble and gentle. So we are to be humble and gentle. One of the unique features we have here at Hillcrest is we worship in two different venues simultaneously. We worship here in the sanctuary, and we have a whole group of people every Sunday worshiping in our gym, which we call the Hill. One worship service, two different venues. We can't let that minor difference divide us. So I want to do something this morning I've never done. We tested the sound. I think this is going to work. But I'm going to keep preaching this point. But as I preach it, I'm going to make my way over to the hill. So if you're watching on the screen, I'll disappear for a while. But you can just keep listening, okay? But the message that I have for those of you here in the sanctuary is don't start to look at the people who sit in the hill as those people. If only those people would join us Our singing would be so much better. The problem is with all those people. That's not the problem. We happen to have two different choices we offer people. That's a gift. Ada Bible built their church on that model. Different venues, different people, one speaker, one sermon. Churches do it all differently, but we're all one body together here at Hillcrest. Some of us are here in the sanctuary, some of us in the hill. As I'm walking into the narthex now, I'm coming into the space that we hope to renovate. And it's, an, it's a great vision that our facility team has come up with. Getting rid of some of this old-fashioned, outdated space that doesn't really work for us much anymore. Turning it into a common area where all of us from Hill and Sanctuary together can come before and after services and enjoy coffee and fellowship with each other. It's a beautiful thing that we're raising money to do. And now as I'm coming into the hill, I'll flip the lights on so you can see me. I just want to say how great it is to see all of your faces. 
Because I don't even get a chance to do this. I get to look at all the people who sit in the sanctuary every Sunday. And I know you're in here. And when there's a baptism, I quickly come in here and I get to see a few of you. And then i got to quick get back to the front of church. But it's good to see that you're all here too. We're all one family here at Hillcrest. Some of you like sitting in the hill. You like sitting around round tables. You like the informality of drinking coffee. It's easier to talk to people maybe that way. That's fine. What a wonderful thing. But don't refer to the people in the sanctuary as those people. You know, they're kind of buttoned up a little tighter. They kind of like that formality thing. It's okay. We can have different options and still be one family here at Hillcrest. That's who we are. We offer both. So rather than wanting everybody to maybe join us in our particular venue, we can pray that God will fill both venues and we'll have a full church full of people from our community who will love to worship Jesus with us. Now, I know some of you like your venue over the others, of course, but they're not better. They're just different. And Scripture calls us to focus on what unites us rather than on what divides us. In fact, there's people at sunset right now who are worshiping with us. They don't see me, but soon they will again. There's people at home and on vacation. They're worshiping with us. They watch online. Maybe after Sunday, they worship, they worship with us and they listen to the sermon sometime during the week. What a blessing to modern technology that we have that opportunity today. So whether you drink coffee in church or not, whether you dress more formally for church or not, those are the small things. That doesn't matter. What matters is what God has done for us in Christ and that God has brought us together into this church, Hillcrest Church, with our own unique personality, our own unique gifts. And this is the place where He's put us to love and to respect and to care for each other. So let me suggest maybe, maybe if you've never worshipped in the other place, you try that some week. Go sit in the other place. You'll probably be sitting at someone's table or in someone's pew, but we'll be gracious. Because if you aren't in there every week, you might not know that. But that's okay. We'll be gracious with each other, right? Just get a sense for what it's like to worship in the other place, maybe. Wherever we sit, let's read out loud together what Paul writes in this text. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So beyond being humble and gentle, we need to be patient with each other. That word means to be long-suffering, to have a long fuse. It should take all of us a long time to get mad at each other. Because we're just patient people. Because... Has God been patient with you? He's been very patient with me. And for me not to offer that sort of patience to other people, that would just be wrong. We need to be patient with each other. Humility, gentleness, and patience ought to characterize our lives. Another way Paul says it here is that we need to bear with each other in love. The truth is we're not always so humble, gentle, or patient. 
Sometimes we're proud. Sometimes we think our way is the only way. Sometimes we get mad at people who don't think just like we do. That's not great, but sometimes that's how we think. Sometimes people are alienated from the church because of the unchristlike ways of the people in that church. The unchristlike words and attitudes. And people say, you know what? I love Jesus. I believe in God. But I just don't like those people. That's a problem for us. Lots of people are not in church buildings today because they've been alienated. They've been hurt based on some word or deed of a follower of Jesus somewhere. Let's not be those people who are so abrasive and so unkind and so uncharitable towards each other that we drive someone out of the church as a result. Let's be winsome. Let's be loving and forgiving. Completely humble, gentle, and patient with each other so we bear with each other even when we find there are differences. God's put us all together in this family. He's called us away from a life of sin and into a life of following His Son. We're not going to do it perfectly, but we are forgiven people. We remind ourselves of that every Sunday. And we continue to be united in who we are in Christ. So let's read together our text as it's on the screens. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord... Beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all.